for an extended amount of time. Uh, and so we're going to go through it this morning. So let's uh, pray over this message. Father God, we love you. We praise, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, would you just uh, bring your presence here, Lord, to speak directly to our situation, Father, that we would uh, hear exactly what you need us to hear. Father, I pray for those people that are watching online right now, either live or recording later on. God, that they would be captivated right now by your word to listen and have it come down to their spirits that would minister to them specifically. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll be in 2 Samuel 19, we'll be in verses 24 through 30. It says, Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why do you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I might ride on it and go to the king. Because your servant is lame and he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out anymore to the king? So the king said to him, why do you speak anymore to your matters? I have said you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather, let him take it all inasmuch as the Lord, the king has come back in peace to his own house. What's going on in this story? <coughs> for those of you that are joining us for the first time, uh, let me give you a quick synopsis. David is the king of Israel and he's coming back to uh, the, Jerusalem because he was in exile because his son Absalom took over Jerusalem and now he's coming back as the rightful king. As part of this story, as we've been walking through Second Samuel, specifically chapter 19, David is having all these interactions with people as he's coming back to Jerusalem. And so now he's having an interaction with Mephibosheth. The Bible says he's uh, the son of Saul, but he's from the house of Saul. But um, he's actually uh, the son of uh, uh, Jonathan. And so uh, it says that he's there. And he's waiting for his king to come back. And when the king finds him, he finds Mephibosheth disheveled. He hasn't cared for his feet. His feet were lame. He hasn't bathed. And the reason why is because he's been in mourning. And so as he shows up, uh, David says to him, he says, so if you're with me, it's clear that you're in mourning. Why is it now that you didn't show up and help me? And, and Mephibosheth says, well, I was tricked. I, I, I thought I was going to come to you, but someone came and tricked me. That person was Ziba. And so now David says to him, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm here. I'm back. You've been faithful. Why don't, why don't we split the land? Let's divide it between you and Ziba. So you have an inheritance. And in that moment, Mephibosheth says, I don't want the land. Let Ziba have the land. I'm just excited that my King's back. I'm just excited that my King's back. And it's a, it's a great heart that Mephibosheth has in this story. When, when, when David offers him this land, he says, I don't want the land because the only thing I wanted was for my king to come back. I wanted my king to be back in Jerusalem. I wanted my king to be able to rule and reign. Verse 30, then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all. And as much as my Lord, the king has come back in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth just wanted his king, nothing else. He didn't need anything else. He didn't want anything else. 
All he wanted was his king. There's a song out there that says, just give me Jesus. Nothing else needed. Nothing else desired. But for many people, they want Jesus plus something. Jesus isn't enough. They want Jesus plus something. Mephibosheth says, let him take it all. I just want my king. But people say, I want Jesus. I want to have it all. It's not enough that I have Jesus. I want Jesus plus something else. Our heart should be the same heart as Mephibosheth. As, as Mephibosheth said, let him take it all to, to, to King David about Ziba. Let him take it all. We should say to King Jesus, let him take it all. Let Jesus take it all. He can have it all because I don't want anything else except Jesus. Let him take it all. We should say, Jesus, you can have my desires. I don't want anything else. I only want you. I don't want you plus my desires. I only want you, Jesus. Mephibosheth was a man. He was a, he was the son of Jonathan. He probably wanted stuff. And, and I just assume that because I believe that humans are the same all throughout eternity. He wanted this land because land equals influence. Mephibosheth is a dirty, lame man who, who had lost his inheritance because of, of, of King Saul. But in that moment, I believe that as much as he wanted what, what was available to him, he said, you know what? I don't want it. My heart is that I want my king. I don't want this land. Even though land means influence and land means wealth and land means prestige, he gave it up. Mephibosheth gave it up and said, you what? Let Zeba have it. I'm sure Zeba would be satisfied with those things, but I'm not going to be satisfied with those things. I'm going to be satisfied with my king. Because if I have my king, I don't need anything else. My desires are only for my king. And so since I have him, I'm going to push away my desires. I'm going to push away my desires for wealth and for influence because all I want is my king. Now, David wasn't God and David wasn't Jesus, but these parallels that we're able to draw from the Old Testament should be clear. Our desire should be for our king, King Jesus, more than any other earthly possession. Not, not for wealth or for influence or for any sort of prestige. We should be able to give those up in the same way Mephibosheth gave them up and said, let them have it all and let Jesus have it all because all I want is my king. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall give it, excuse me, and he shall bring it to pass. See, when you find your delight in the Lord, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart, but he doesn't want you to have any other desire except for him because he wants to be the one to bring it to you. But most people struggle with this. They want Jesus plus something else. Jesus is not enough. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, I came to him because I was broken and I was wanted. Uh, excuse me, I was wanting. I didn't want anything else. I literally got down in the dirt and cried before God and said, Jesus, receive me. I want to live for you. But as you begin to live for him slowly but surely, your heart begins to turn in little places. And, 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 and what you received at salvation no longer is enough. You want Jesus plus something else. Psalm 73, 25. Who have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Is that your heart? Is Jesus enough? Or do you have a mental list of what it will take? 
See, Mephibosheth didn't desire the possession. He didn't desire the land or what Ziba had. He didn't fight and say, well, I deserve more than Ziba because I was faithful and Ziba wasn't faithful. And and I deserve more because Ziba deceived me and kept me from going to you. No, he said, you want at the end of the day, I don't care about nothing. I just want my king. I just want my king. I'd been in mourning. I didn't cut my hair. I didn't care for my feet. I don't even care about that. That's not my desire. I want my king. Let Ziba have it all. Isaiah 26, 9, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Is that where your heart is at? Have you desired Jesus so much that you desired him in the night? Have you said to Jesus, you can have it all. Have you said to him, you're my king and you're all that I desire? Or is it more? You say, yes, I want Jesus. But there's this mental list in your mind that says, well, I want Jesus. But I kind of got this little list of things that I need as well. Let let me give you a free multi-billion dollar formula to achieve anything that you want in your life. Are you ready? Here it is. It's very simple. Desire plus action equals results. That's it. Anything you want in life. You want something, desire. You take the actions that you need to take to get that desire, and then you get results. And you do that with anything in your life and you'll achieve anything that you want. So watch this. When it comes to a desire, you take the action to get what you want from that desire. So someone will say, I want to, I want to start working out. I want to exercise. Many of us say things like that on Sundays, because if you're going to start any good workout plan, it always starts on a Monday. You can't start a workout plan on a Sunday or a Wednesday. It has to be on a Monday. Now, if you ever missed your Monday, you always put it off another week and you say, well, I'll start it next Monday. And so what happens is Sunday, after you're eating over the weekend, because you think calories don't count on Fridays and Saturdays, which sadly I found out they do. You show up on Sunday and you say, I'm going to start working out on Monday. And so you set your alarm, you put out your workout clothes, and that alarm goes off on uh, uh, at six o'clock, whatever, Monday morning. And all of a sudden, that lumpy bed that you can't stand becomes the most comfortable center of the world. And in that moment, Sunday night, your desire was to work out. You took the action of setting the alarm. Monday morning, the alarm goes off and your desire is no longer to work out. Your desire has now become comfort. And you say, you want, this is what my desire is. My desire is to stay in this bed. My desire is to not sweat. My desire is not to feel pain. That's what my desire is. And so what do you achieve and get? Exactly what you desire. Whatever your desires are, whatever actions you take, give you exactly what you want. People say, well, I want to get out of debt. That's my desire. The action would be, I have to cut my spending or I have to get a second way to get some extra money. That's an action, but you don't want to take that action. The truth is your desire is to get out of debt without having to do any work. Your desire is to lose weight without having to do anything. Every desire necessitates an action to get a result. And so we say to ourselves, 
into God. Lord, I want more of you and I want you and I want to walk with you and experience you and experience your joy and your peace and your righteousness. I want to be above this world. And we say, God, that's what I want for my life. That's my desire. But then the actions that we take don't follow up with our desires. You know that the pathway to life resides in this book, but you refuse to read it. You refuse to appropriate it in your life. You refuse to to read a scripture and choose and say, I'm going to believe that because God said it. You have a desire, but it doesn't connect with the action. So you don't get the result. There's something that you value more than Jesus in your heart. There just is. And here's how God works is that if you've made a declaration and said, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow Jesus. And then you begin to walk this Christian life, whether it's for a month or for 20 years, there's always this point because these small idols always come back into your heart and God will say, do you love me more than that? I want you to lay it down. I don't want you to desire anything more than you desire me. Lay it down. And then what's interesting how God works is that sometimes these things that you lay down, God wants you to love him more than anything. And then God will lovingly allow these things back into your life, not sinful things, because he says, you know what? I can trust you with this because I know that your desire is for me and for me alone. God wants your full allegiance, not your halfway allegiance. See, Paul said this in Philippians 1.21. He said, for me, for me, this is what Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what? I love the way that Tucker does these things, man. I mean, that burn that in your retinas on the big screen. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Many people, that's not their desire. Their desire is to have everything and to do everything. To Paul, death was a gain. To Paul, to die was counted as a win. He says, you want, my goal is to die. I can't wait to die. I'm excited to die. We get upset if we don't get invited to a barbecue. You literally end friendships. You know, I remember way back in the olden days of Facebook when you could actually like show what you were doing and people didn't hate you. Like you can't be like, oh, I'm going out to dinner. Like, why didn't you invite me? You know, I went for a walk. Why didn't you bring me back a bag of rocks? Like, like it it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can't share with anybody because people are filled with this jealous rage because they just are so uh, like weak. (laughs) People end friendships over it. I mean, come on, man. If you're really honest, you didn't want to go in the first place. It's upset you weren't invited. So completely emotionally fragile to the point of personal destruction and relationship pain. Because the truth is that, is that you don't want Jesus more than anything. We're, we're ruled by the desires of our flesh. Like this, read your Bibles. These are the types of things that Paul said. Paul said in Philippians 3, 8, yet indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. I believe in the King James, it says as dung, as poop, that I might gain Christ. Paul said, everything else to me is rubbish and dung than having Jesus. 
But for us as these Americanized Christians, for some reason, we've, we've got this list of demands when it comes to following Christ, that, that we're only going to follow him if we have all of these other things, all, all these other things that we want, because our true desire isn't the king. Our true desire is something else. Have you counted it all loss, your relationships, your jobs, your stuff, your houses, your cars, your toys? And again, it's okay to have stuff. I have stuff. You just can't have the stuff, have you? You count it as loss compared to Christ. See, I, I, I've seen over the years that God gives the most faithful people things that he can trust them with because he knows that they don't love those things more than him. John four thirteen through 14, Jesus answered, said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will come become in him a fountain of water singing up, excuse me, springing up into everlasting life. See, we, we are in such a special time in history where, where we as Christian people, and if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become one. But if you are a Christian, we, we live in such a time that we've never had before where we're able to show a world that has no joy, what true joy that we have because we only desire Jesus. Yeah. And, I, and I don't understand it because uh, as Christians, we, we've constantly talked about the bad things of this world and then the bad things of this world start to be stripped away and then we get over with the world and we get upset and say, oh, they're taking this thing away from me and we're not going to be able to do this. And we're not going to be able to do that. When, you know, five years ago, we used to say, you don't need anything else but Jesus. And now everything else is being torn away and there's only Jesus and we're falling into the same way that the world is and saying, well, well, we want Jesus, but we also want to go out and eat unlimited fries at Red Robin. I want Jesus, but I still want my kids to play sports and I still want to be able to go watch my sports and I want to still be able to go to the movie house and, and I want to be able to do these other things because your desire really isn't for Jesus. And I don't care. I never need to go to a movie house one other time. I don't need to watch any more sports anymore again. I don't need those things, man. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. That's all I need. See, Mephibosheth said even, you know what? You can take it all. You can even take my comfort. Mephibosheth undoubtedly wasn't comfortable. He didn't bathe or do personal hygiene for a long time while he was waiting for his king. Honoring his king was more important than his comfort. And the, the scripture said that he hadn't cared for his feet. He had lame feet. So I believe they probably started to get some of that like foot cheese or some sort of stuff in there. Like just would have been gross, man. And not bathing and, and, and not like caring for yourself. Cause, cause what happened is, is that, you know, back in Bible times, they actually used to have honor. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't have honor anymore. We, people, men don't even stand up to shake another man's hand anymore. Yeah. Watch it. They don't do it. People don't hold because there's no honor. Yeah. There's no honor at all. But Mephibosheth was a man of honor. And so he said, you know what? I am, I'm not going to cleanse myself until my king comes back. However uncomfortable that it may be for me, I don't care. I'm going to honor my king. His cry, let him take it all. Is a give up. It's saying Zeba can have it all, but I believe it's also a cry of the heart that says, I don't care. I'll give up anything. 
Let the king have it all because all I want is my king. Land would be comfort. It would be wealth. Being able to clean himself while the king was gone would have been more comfortable than having to live in his filth. But now that his king has returned, he doesn't even want to bathe himself. He doesn't want to even clean himself. He doesn't even want his land. He says, you want let him have it all. I don't care about what I've gone through or who I am. All I wanted was my king. Let him take it all. I have all that I need now that I have my king. I don't need anything else. I'd rather live destitute than to not have my king. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.76, Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. According to your word to your servant. See, the psalmist believed that kindness was comforting enough. The kindness of God upon us is comfort enough. The creature comforts of our life are not what is our comfort. Our comfort is the merciful kindness of our God upon our lives. I mean, comfort is a curious thing. We, we all want it. I'm not, I'm not just talking about being comforted. Listen, sometimes you just need a hug. You need a word of encouragement. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our fleshly comforts that we all love and desire. I, explain to me this. When it's 90 degrees outside, you want your air conditioning at 66 degrees because you want it that cold. But in the winter, 68 degrees in your house is too cold and you got to turn on your heat. How does that work? Because you're a, you're a, a person that loves comfort at all costs. You, you, you put on a sweatshirt because you got to chill. You know, you take off your blankets because you're roasting. Like all day long, you're trying to maintain because I've got to stay at the most perfect temperature at all times because I've got to have my comfort. We get upset about no air conditioning in our cars when you should just be excited that you're not walking. So many machines that you have to make your life easier to give you comfort so you, you can find things to complain about. Do you realize how much less you would be complaining if you had to wake up in the morning, make your own butter, make your own bread, do your own wash, wash your own dishes, fix everything in your house? You wouldn't have time to sit around making up arguments on social media. You'd be busy with the diligent uh, hands of the work that you needed to do. But no, you, you even complain and say, I have to do the wash. You don't even do the wash. You take the pile, you put it in the box, you take it out of the box, and you put it in the hot box to dry the clothes. And, and, and you, don't, you don't even have to, you don't have to fold them. You, you just sit in another box and you just pull them out. You don't do dishes. The machine does dishes. You don't even cook your, you don't even cook your, you don't even cook your own popcorn anymore. Microwave does it. We have this unrelenting pursuit of comfort. But the truth is, is that when we have no struggle, we become neurotic. Like look, look at if you keep your hand busy And you've seen it, whether it's at your job or at your house, you actually have more joy when you're busy doing things than when you're sitting around staring at your phone, waiting for something to happen. You're just sitting there scrolling, wanting to feel like go out and paint the rocks in front of your house, you know, clean, clean on the top of your window frames, scrub the corners of your shower. And at the end of the day, when you fall into bed tired, then tell me that you're upset. You just feel good that you're able to fall asleep, man. 
Not sitting there being frustrated about what's going on around you because you are a comfort hound. You love your comfort. But for us, the Bible says that we should give up our comfort for a greater cause. And to do that takes a bit of courage. We have to force ourselves. We have to force ourselves to get out of our comfort because we love comfort. So you have to force yourselves. Even Mephibosheth did this. He gave up his comfort for the king, all that he wanted. David still would have been king if Mephibosheth would have bathed, if he wouldn't have uh, have given himself over to this dirtiness. He had to choose affliction. Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. God's word is supposed to comfort us in our affliction, but it can't comfort us if we never go through affliction. But what happens is that we believe that affliction is what we experience from our poor choices and our inconveniences instead of actually realizing what discomfort truly is. Affliction is part of the human condition, but for a lot of it, we have to force ourselves into it. Choosing affliction is a difficult task. What does it mean to you? Do you worship your comfort? Do you find it difficult to get out of your comfort for God? See, when faced with having to give up your comfort, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you, do you, do you run from it? No matter what it may be, if it's uncomfortable, you're like, oh man, I can't experience this. This is too hard. I, I want to experience comfort all day, every day, because my whole life is centered around feeling comfort. I want to sit in the most comfortable chair. I want to eat the most comfortable food. I want to have the most comfortable everything in my life because I chase my comfort. Here, here, read your Bibles, please, for the love of God. Read your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul said, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. He said, I love infirmities. I love what it does to me in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, I can only experience the strength of Christ when I'm broken and I'm experiencing affliction. It's the only time I can experience the strength of Christ. We experience the the slightest bit of discomfort and we get frustrated because we want to feel comfort at all turns instead of saying, you what? Praise God I'm going through something because now I can lean on Christ. Praise God I'm not comfortable right now so I can actually taste the the blood of Christ and say, you know what, I can share in his suffering. Now, many of you know this about me. I I don't enjoy camping. And the reason I don't enjoy camping is because I don't enjoy getting dirty. I don't enjoy it at all. Um, I'm a guy that like, sometimes I change my clothes three times a day because I just can't stand being dirty. Multiple showers and whatever. I've been that way since I was a kid. I don't know why. Even when I joined the army, people laughed and they said, you're joining the army? Like, why wouldn't you join the Navy? They have like boats and beds. I was like, I don't know. So I joined the army and they do. The army goes camping a lot. They go in like tents. And uh, uh, when I was in the army, they had this thing called a shelter half. And so what a shelter half would do is that if, if I had a battle buddy, say, uh, you know, uh, my wife was my battle buddy, she'd have a shelter half, I'd have a shelter half. Together, we put our two halves together, and then we were able to have one shelter together. There's a sermon in there somewhere. 
And so you take this shell trap and it's made out of canvas and they're like from Vietnam era. And then you like stake them down and then you just lay on the dirt with a trench that's supposed to keep the water out. And then you sleep on the dirt under this shelter half and it's supposed to keep you safe and warm, I guess. So we're going out to the field and our leadership says, we're giving you sleeping bags, but if you get your sleeping bags dirty, we're going to smoke you. And now a military term, what smoking means is that they're going to make you do exercises until you can't do exercises. We're just going to smoke you. And nobody likes getting smoked. Uh, and, and so when the, when the leader said, don't use your sleeping bag, well, they said, use your sleeping bags, but if you get them dirty, you're going to get smoked. So we all go out to the field and it's dirty, muddy, nasty, and literally nobody used their sleeping bags because they were so afraid of getting smoked. And so I remember that night, and, and this is why <laughs> it, I, it was it was the only night in my life I spent my night in the arms of a black man. Like we <laughs> literally just, you know what I mean? Because yeah, you're like so cold, no sleeping bag. We're just hugging each other, trying to stay warm, shivering because of just, it was horrible, man. For three days, all of us, every single one of us out in the field was just, we'd wake up in the morning cold and, and upset because we didn't want to get these sleeping bags dirty because we didn't want to get smoked. So the, the last night, or excuse me, last morning, we get up, we bring out formation. We all got our rucksacks on and, and the, the sergeant says, all right, everybody pull out your sleeping bags. And so all of us that hadn't slept with them, pulled them out. We're like ready for inspection. We got this sparkling sleeping bag. Like, here it is. And so then he goes, all right, take our sleeping bags, throw them in a pile over there, and uh, let's get to marching. And we realized that they weren't really going to inspect our sleeping bags. They just said that to us to keep us from using our sleeping bags. What a bunch of jerks. It's been like 23 years. And I must have told this story probably 20 times to people. And the reason why I keep telling this story is I'm still upset that I had to spend those three nights not in that sleeping bag. It still stings. Like I'm still, I should have been able to sleep well because that's the measure of the depth of our desire for comfort. And a lot of your pain in your life that you look back on, it's times that you did not get the comfort that you thought you deserved or the comfort that you wanted. I had no pleasure in that infirmity. I wanted that sleeping bag. I wanted my comfort. And years later, I still want that sleeping bag. But if we want to see the king to live for him, we have to give up our comfort. Are you looking for comfort at every turn? Are are, are we losing heart? It's only for a moment. Let, let me show you what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Friend, if you would get this down into your spirit, and and I mean this as you're watching and you're listening, if you would get this down into your spirit, you will stop complaining about everything that's going on around you. you. You won't care about it anymore. The reason why you care about it so much is because you care about it so much. Because you care about it so much. You've lost sight of what the Bible teaches about affliction. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is wearing a mask, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is working but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not get to eat out at the restaurants that we want, or go to the places that we want, the things which are there, those are temporary, but the things that we have are eternal. And come on, man, we're, we're going through it, but we're going to get through it. And even if we don't, this is nothing compared to what we're going to receive when we get to heaven. Here, here's the real problem, Christian, is that you don't believe in heaven. You don't believe in eternity. You don't believe that you believe that this is your best life now. You, you believe that this is the best that you're going to experience. And so you get upset when you don't get what you think you deserve and get the comforts that you think that you want because you truthfully have lost sight of Christians. This light affliction. It's a light affliction compared to the future glory that's going to be revealed in us. Read your Bibles, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time in 2020 are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. In 2020, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. We are perplexed. Has there ever been a time in your life more than now when you are perplexed? But not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. These are the times that try men's souls that we need to live out these scriptures more than we've ever lived them out before. Second Timothy chapter four, verses four through, excuse, excuse me, verses six through eight. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We have to look forward to that crown. We have to look past what we're going through and say, you know what, man, this is nothing. <laughs> it really is like the greatest things in my life that I have. No government can take them away from me at all. But, but we don't have that because we, we want our crown now. We want our comfort now. We want our peace now. You have to keep your crown in mind. You cannot lose sight of this. This is everything to us. Friend, the Bible and Christianity is a suffering experience. It really is. Read what the Bible says. It's a suffering experience. When you sign up to be a Christian, you sign up for suffering. You can't look past it. You can't say, well, I don't want to experience suffering. Because if you don't want to experience suffering, you don't want to experience Christ. Now, I want to apologize to you. Okay, if you're listening, I got it on record. I, I, I'm asking for your apology, okay? Because when this all started back in March, do you know what I prayed? And I prayed it earnestly. I said, Lord, let this go on as long as it needs to go on to break people. Let it go on as long as it needs to go on to break people. Because I actually desire that people would come to Christ 
I desire that Christ's church would be full. I, I, I want the church to become what it, what, what it should be and what it used to be, which was a city on a hill. The church used to be the center of the community. They would build big, beautiful churches in the center of the community, and it would be the shining glory of the community. It was the center of where people found their relationships, where people found their joy, the best music, the best activities. They always happened in the church. But what happened is over the decades, the church fell into disrepair and it it fell into a place that people didn't want to go because they created their own joy. They created their own experiences. But now all that stuff is being taken away, but it hasn't gotten bad enough because the churches are not full. And so I prayed, Lord, take away whatever you need to take away. Take away people's love of sport. Take away the love of their children's sports, their public education. Take, Take their restaurants and their bars and their movies and their... Take everything away so that there's nothing left. And the only thing that stands is the constitutionally protected house of God that cannot and will not shut down. Because the church used to be this. They used to have church league basketball. Youth group used to be where every kid wanted to go. People wanted to go. People that weren't even believers wanted to be around the church just because they loved the relationships. Now the church is a joke. Lord, burn it all. Burn it all down. Be excited that this is breaking the world. We shouldn't love that stuff anyway. I mean, five years ago, we're, we're talking about the evilness of stuff. And now we're upset that it's being shut down. Come on. Here's the last part of it. And this is what I believe. Mephibosheth disregarded his own safety and health to honor the king. Not caring for himself during the time of exile could have cost him his life. I mean, think about it. Not caring for his lame feet, not washing himself. It could have cost him an infection. It could have killed him. But but he wasn't going to dishonor the king and dishonor himself by washing himself. He had to come to a point and say, you know what? I don't even care if this kills me. He can take my life because all I want is my king. I don't even want this life. This life isn't what I desire. This life isn't what I want. All I want is my king. And so when the king says, why don't you take the land and you divide it between you and Ziba? Mephibosheth is like, I don't think you're catching my point here, man. I didn't even want my life. All I wanted was my king. Ziba can have it all. Let him have it all. I don't even care about my own life. I've been waiting for my king. Ziba can have all to me that doesn't matter. The king can have all of me. The land was let him take it all, but he couldn't say that without first giving up his life. Only caring for what the king wanted is what was most important to Mephibosheth. It's at the second part of verse 30. He says, in as much as my Lord, the king has come back in peace to his own house. That is all Mephibosheth wanted was the king. Let him take it all. Let him have my life. Let him have my everything. All I want is is my king. I don't want anything else. I'm even willing to give up my life. Are you still holding on to your life? Are there parts that you still hold on to? Now, I I know that I constantly tell you guys military stories. It's because, man, there's sermon examples for days. One of the reasons why I love um, the military and I love veterans is that the, the veteran says, I'm willing to die. For what I believe. That's really what they say. When you sign up and, and, and a lot of people don't have to die and haven't died over the last, you know, 30 years. Um, a lot of people don't see action, but their heart is when they sign up, 
They, they say up, up to and including death is what I'm willing to give for what I believe in. And it's something to be, to be admired that they signed up and were willing to do that. Mentally, you have to say, if I'm going to join the military, I have to be willing to give up my life. And if you would read your Bible and see what it really dis- declares about your life, your rights, and what you should value, the Bible is, a, a, a specifically in the New Testament, Paul repeatedly talks about death as an inheritance and, and death as a joy and that your life really has no value or matter to you outside of Christ. Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Acts 21, 13, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Does that sound like self-righteous Americanism? Does it? No, it does not. I've been crucified with Christ. Count my li- I do not count my life dear to me. I'm also ready to die. Where do you hear this? We don't hear this. We want our own way. We want what we want and we want it now. And so what happens is we bring that to our Christianity. We bring it to our Christianity and we say, you know what? I don't want to give up my life. I want to hold on to my life. I want to run my life. I want to lead my life. But it's the complete opposite of living for Jesus. Jesus says, die to self, live for me. Let me run your life. Paul said in Romans 14, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whatever we, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Friend, you cannot simultaneously hold on to your life and try to live for Jesus. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. Everything has to be up for discussion. Everything has to be out on the table to be able to live for Jesus. And why is this so hard? Because we're selfish, man. We want what we want. We want our desires and our comfort and our wants. We don't want to lose our comfort in our life. We want to hold on to it at all costs. But, but, but again, as I'm closing here, and I, 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 I want you guys to, to get this into your spirit. And I'll show you how you do it real quick. First Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I affirm by the boasting which you, ha- which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. Every time you notice you're upset about your comfort or you're upset about your desires or, or you're losing track of, uh, of all these things, it's, it's because you have not died to yourself that day. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me to die to you today. Allow me to live for you today. And when people get upset with you or things don't go your way, you already died that morning and you declared that day wasn't going to be about you anyway. So none of it matters. So man, I died to myself this morning. I can handle this. But you have to remind yourself to die, not to live for yourself, but to live for Christ Jesus. And when we do that, it's easier to love and serve and give and live for Jesus and not for ourselves. I'm going to end with this last scripture and, and you can come if you would, Russ. Um, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 
You, you want to carry around the death of Jesus with you so that you can actually live for him. And in a world that needs hope more now than it's ever needed before, we can display to an unbelieving world what true hope looks like because we die to ourselves. We don't need our own desires that we only desire Jesus. We don't want comfort. We don't want our desires. We just want Jesus. We're dead to ourselves and we live for him. Let that be your prayer today. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray over this message. Hey, if you're, if you're watching this right now and you are not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to become one. It's really quite easy. Either you're living for Jesus or you're not. Either you're giving your life to him or you haven't. And if you've never become a Christian and you would like to become one today, we would just encourage you, wherever you're sitting right now, to lift up your hands to heaven and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to live for Jesus. Turn away from your past life and start living for Jesus. Find a Bible-believing church. Continue to watch us online. If you became a Christian today, send us an email so that we can get you some uh, information. Um, just want you to know Jesus, man. Read your Bible. Get to know him. Live for him. Now, for the rest of us, we, we just need to maybe do a little bit of a heart check. This is why I love messages like this. Do we love our desires more than Jesus? Lay them down. Do you love your comfort more than Jesus? Lay it down. Are you holding on to your life too much? Lay it down. Live for Jesus and him alone. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that we would not love our desires, our comfort, or our lives more than you, Lord. That we would only live for you and you alone. Nothing else. Father, we don't want anything. Let, let them have it all. We just want you, Jesus. We don't want anything else. We don't need anything else. Let them have it all. We only want you. Let that be our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, continue to watch us online and we will see you this Wednesday. Love you. Have a great, uh, great day. Bye. <coughs> hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.